really very much appreciate David Mickelson's uh, um, preaching gift and the gift that he is to our fellowship in teaching and sharing the word. Give David a warm welcome as he comes and ministers the word of God this morning. Am I on? Okay. I can hear myself. I'm going to move this back. The life-changing power of encountering Jesus. We saw it with Jason's story. If you weren't here last week, he was verbally and physically abused as a boy. Ended up getting led into the deceit of Satanism as a young man, an angry young man. Miserable, I think it's safe to say. Not happy. And he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And now he's one of the just most relaxed, chillest, happy people I know. His face radiates Jesus. He's super nice. It's fun to know. And that's who he always was deep down. That's who uh, he was meant to be. And Jesus makes us who we really are. He makes us who we were always meant to be. And I think we see that with Sean's testimony of the Nicholas, a young man, and with all of us, right? I shudder to think who I would have been. And frankly, no offense, I shudder to think who you would have <laughs> without Jesus. <laughs> Start right out with an insult to the whole group. <laughs> you can only go up from there. So a man in Australia walked into the produce section of his local supermarket and asked to buy half a head of cabbage. And the boy working in that department said, no, we only sell whole heads of cabbage. But the man was insistent that the boy ask the manager. So... The boy walked into the back room and said, some tightwad outside wants to buy half a head of cabbage. And as he finished his sentence, he turned around and found that the man had followed him and was standing right behind him. So the boy quickly added, and this kind gentleman has offered to buy the other half. <laughs> There's still the rest of the joke, by the way. So the manager approved the deal and, and he went on his way. Later, the manager said to the boy, I was impressed with the way you handled that. We need quick thinkers here at this store. Where are you from, son? New Zealand, sir, the boy replied. But why did you leave New Zealand anyway, the manager asked. The boy said, sir, there's nothing there but loose women and rugby players. <laughs> is that right, replied the manager. My wife is from New Zealand. <laughs> oh, replied the boy, what team did she play for? <laughs> quick thinking. I've never been a quick thinker, but Jesus helps me. <laughs> Have you ever been in those situations where you say something and you're like, oh no, what did I just say? But Jesus will help. So, I love the Old Testament, and we, we often preach from the New Testament, so I always think I need to balance the boat a little bit. So, if you've been in Israel around 850 B.C., on a certain day in a certain place, you might have looked up and seen a man on a hilltop, all by himself, just sitting there, waiting patiently, apparently without a care in the world. And you might have said, what is he wearing? It looks like he's wearing a garment made out of hair. And the Bible says he was wearing a garment made out of hair. And no, this isn't John the Baptist. This is before him. So some people might have thought, that's got to be the itchiest garment I've ever seen. Other people might have thought, what's that weirdo doing just sitting up there, staring around on top of this hilltop? We're talking, of course, about the prophet Elijah. He was the last prophet alive in his generation. Imagine that. Imagine being the last prophet alive in the United States because all the others had been killed. What a burden. 
Queen Jezebel was a Baal worshiper, and she didn't want any prophets of the Lord. She just wanted prophets of Baal. And now God gives Elijah a message for her son. What's his name? Let's see here. I'm going to say this right. Ahaziah. I looked this up, and I did the little Google thing where it tells you how to say it. Ahaziah. I was going to say Ahaziah. Ahaziah. So Elijah's going to tell Ahaziah, 2 Kings 1, 2, some bad news. The worst news, you're going to die says, Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Beelzebub. Yes, that's a real god. It's in the New Testament. It means the devil. But Go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. In other words, ignore our god and go consult the god of the Philistines. Not a good idea. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go up and meet the messenger of the king of Samaria, that's the king of Israel, and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. Big mistake, huh? When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, why have you come back so early? A man came to meet us, they replied. The king asked, what kind of man? You can tell his heart probably sinking. He knows who it is. They replied, he had a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. The king said, that was Elijah the Tishbite. Then he sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. Why did he need to send 50 men? Do you think he realized he was fighting God? You don't send 50 men to arrest one person unless you think you're fighting God. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill, and he said to him, man of God, the king says, come down. We're going to circle back to this story. But I want to ask you, why was Elijah up on that hilltop? He was giving a king bad news, the worst news. You didn't just give a king bad news back in that time. In fact, when Samuel was told by God to anoint David king, Samuel said, I can't do that. Saul will kill me. And there's another story where there's one prophet named Micaiah, who's the only one who will tell the king the, good, the, the truth of what God is really saying. This is uh, in Ahab's day. And uh, Ahab has all the other false prophets telling him, go up and attack Ramoth Gilead. The Lord has delivered it into your hand. And Ahab, with a sinking heart, says, okay, Micaiah, what's your word for me? And Micaiah's like, this is me reading in, because it just says what he said. But he says, yeah, go up and attack. Go ahead. <laughs> Ahab looks at him and says, I told you never to lie to me. And Micaiah says, okay, I see disaster. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. Well, Ahab has him arrested, even though he insisted. Tell me what you're really getting from God. He has him arrested. You don't give a king bad news back in this time. So Elijah gives him the worst news, and he's just sitting there waiting on this hilltop. He makes himself as visible as possible, and he's as, he's as bold as he possibly can be. And the question is, why would he do that? You know, Elijah had a history with God. Who here has a, a history of God that you treasure and you value and you know it's made you who you are? All of us should be raising our hand. Elijah had a history with God. And he had learned a thing or two since his younger days. So I want to rewind a little bit to go back to a time when Elijah wasn't this brave. And then we're going to circle back to the story. So to set the table, Elijah earlier had had, I think, in my interpretation, the best day of his life and then followed immediately the very next day, by the worst day of his life. That's just my interpretation. He had, in the presence of King Ahab and all the people, set up a cosmic showdown between himself and the prophets of Baal, 
where they agreed, whoever's God sends down fire from heaven is God. And the prophets of Baal had danced around and wailed and cut themselves and called down fire. Nothing happened. Elijah started making fun of them. Maybe he's sleeping. Shout louder. Maybe he's deep in thought. And they got more and more upset, but nothing happened. And then Elijah, you know, remember the story? He pours on water, pours on more water, pours on more water, calls down fire from heaven, and so much fire comes that it burns up the sacrifice and all the water evaporates as well. And the people shout, your God, or our God is God. And he has so much credibility with the people, they, they put their faith in his God that he says, now, kill every prophet of Baal. Because it was illegal to be a prophet in Israel of a false God. They were violating the law of Moses. It was a death sentence. And they were in violation of that. And so the people went and they killed the prophets of Baal. And it gets better for Elijah from there because to his great sadness, he had had to prophesy three years of no rain for Israel. He loved Israel. His heart was zealous for his people, but he had had to prophesy uh, uh, judgment because of their sin. And on that day, the same day, he got to say, Lord, I'm praying for rain. And God sent a rainstorm. And finally, the drought, the three years of drought was ended. That's a good day. And it gets better because he's so excited now because he thinks they're going to repent. Ahab's going to repent. Jezebel's going to repent. The people saw God. They rejected Baal worship. And so he actually runs, it says, faster than Ahab's uh, chariot. Ahab has a team of horses. Uh, Elijah beats him back to Ahab's hometown of Jezreel. And he gets there, and you can just see he's extremely excited. And what happens? Chapter 19, verse 1. The, ne the next morning Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So she says, I'm going to kill you. What a letdown. After they saw the fire fall from heaven with their own eyes, and she heard about it? I mean, Ahab told her what happened. Did she say, okay, you're right. I shouldn't have been worshiping Baal. I should have been, should have been worshiping the Lord. No, I'm going to kill you. And the people didn't rise up. Ahab didn't do anything to stop him. This is a very weak husband. He's, he just saw exactly what Elijah did, and he's just going to let her kill Elijah after all that. What a disappointment. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Quite a difference between the man who sat on the hilltop waiting boldly. This is his younger days. Verse 4, he went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. He's done. Then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. Classic symptoms of depression. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. So he takes off after his amazing day. He doesn't look back. He just keeps on going. He actually goes for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, the Lord allowed him to do it. The Lord even sent an angel to feed him. Even though God hadn't, told him, God hadn't told him to do that. That was something he did. He didn't have a word from the Lord to run away. You know, this, just thinking about how cool it would be to have an angel come and feed you. We don't really see that in modern America much. I mean, I know there's, there's child hunger, and maybe God does send angels in those situations, but... You know, God's never sent an angel to feed me. I think he sent an angel to knock a cheeseburger or two out of my hands, but um, it's a different time, a different situation. Our 
definition of fast food is one thing, but back then fast food was when the sheep was running too fast and you're chasing after it with a butcher knife. <laughs> Verse 8. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. So he reaches Mount Horeb, and this is where Moses had received the Ten Commandments. And he hid in a cave, and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Verse 9, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing here? <laughs> I always laugh because God let him travel 40 days before asking him that. Because he wasn't ready to listen yet. You know, God will wait till we're ready to listen. And sometimes that means we just keep on going and going. And finally, David, what are you doing here? What was he doing there? I had enough, Lord. Take my life. Now, if you look back at his life, he'd been through hardship. He'd seen all of his friends, the other prophets, killed by Jezebel. He'd been on the run from them for three years. He had to see his nation's economy destroyed by three years of drought. He's been through his stuff, but he's never wanted to die before. This time, his hopes had been dashed. That's hard. When you have an expectation, he was so thrilled, he ran faster than a horse. Back to, where did he go? It was Jezreel, which was Ahab and Jezebel's stronghold. It was the center of all the evil. It was where all the orders came down, kill this prophet, kill that prophet. He went back to that place, faster than a team of horses. And he was expecting something amazing to happen, and then instead the opposite had happened, and he's crushed. And I know that everyone in this room has experienced having your hopes crushed. And so I want to say, when your hopes are dashed, that's the best time to turn to the Lord for revelation. That's the time when you can have some of the, the most powerful life-transforming encounters with God. When you've reached the end of your tether, that's the phrase, reach the end of your tether. I'm not... 100% sure I know exactly what a tether is, but I know you don't want to reach the end of that tether. That's the phrase, right? And I'm pretty sure it's like a lash or uh, some sort of leash you use for animals, right? Okay. That's a tether. You don't want to reach the end of that. The temptation is to freak out. Let's be honest. Elijah ran off into the wilderness on a 40-day journey, and he didn't even bring any food. That's a freak out in my book. God was merciful and sent a food angel. Grubhub on wings. <laughs> Those moments when we were sure God was going to work things out a certain way and it all falls apart are actually some of the most precious, wonderful moments, strange as it may seem, because there's always a God encounter waiting at the end of that tether. If we'll turn to him. There's always a word or revelation to he wants to give us. It will bring us new hope, new promise. If we'll take our eyes off the disappointment and put them onto him. Here's a question. A little Bible trivia here. What other prophet climbed up a mountain to die? Moses, right? Moses climbed up a mountain to die. No one in his generation ever saw him again. Did Elijah have Moses in mind as he climbed up this mountain wanting to die? This wasn't just a little passing temper tantrum. This was 40 days through the wilderness. He was serious. He was done. Of course, God had told Moses, You're, you know, it's time to go. You're 120 years old. Moses had a word from the Lord. Elijah didn't have a word from the Lord to do this. This was just him. 
he understandably preferred to be taken by God, like Moses was, than to have Jezebel's thugs put him to the sword. But he had no word from the Lord to do this. You can't just climb a mountain and say, God, take me. It doesn't work that way. God might let you get halfway up the mountain, but after a while he'll say, my child, what are you doing here? But God is so gracious, and we see God's graciousness here. God is gracious to Elijah. It says in verse 11, God speaks to him, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, Then a great and powerful earthquake, or sorry, wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. These are all the things that they had seen on Mount Sinai in Moses' day. They had seen a storm, lightning, clouds, thunder. They had seen fire. There was an earthquake. These are all the things that Elijah associated with this mountain where God is. And God is saying to him, that's not me. Where, what, where is God here? It says, verse 12, after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. He's finally ready to listen. That was his encounter with God. It was a gentle whisper. It's good, huh? Thank you, Lord. You know, he hadn't needed to flee. He hadn't needed 40 days in the wilderness, and he hadn't needed a cave to hide in. He needed a word from the Lord. He needed the presence he could have gotten that back in Jezreel. God was with him every one of those 40 days in the desert, in the wilderness. But he had a complaint in his heart that was keeping, it was keeping him from listening. And so God asked him a question, trying to bring him up short, trying to break through that complaint to get him into a place where he's ready to listen. He says, what are you doing here? And God goes this step further. I love this. You know, the only other person to have the glory pass by was Moses. And it was in that very place. At the very least, on that very mountain. Maybe in that exact spot. In Exodus 33, we see a scene. Moses has a complaint in his heart, too. And he's feeling overwhelmed. He says, you have been telling me, Lord, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses always wanted help. And in verse 14, God said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And Moses in verse 18 says, then show me your glory. And verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I find it very interesting, as an aside, that the two men who saw the Lord's glory pass by on this mountain, Mount Sinai, are the same two who appeared with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. And there's something special about the fact that they sought this out. Moses asked for it. Elijah didn't specifically ask for it, but he went back to the same spot. You can tell he's looking for this encounter with the Lord. And Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. So I want to encourage everybody, and I thought of this too for the first time as I was preparing for this message. Why aren't we asking him, show me your glory? Maybe some of you already are. Show me your glory. And he wants to do that. He did it for them. So, you know, it's cool. We should be doing that. It helps that they were both zealous for the Lord as well. Well, when God asks Elijah, what are you doing here, he says, he, he voices his complaint. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Translation, I've been good. 
Why are things going so wrong? The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Translation, everything is terrible. I love God's response. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. He's up on this mountain. He's looking back across this desert. 40 day journey. They couldn't get in a car and drive. I can just imagine him thinking, uh, Lord, you realize how far of a journey this is. You want me to go back? And God's like, I never told you to do that. This is all on you, buddy. Have a nice walk. <laughs> but then he gives him some assignments. Anoint Hazael, king over Aram, verse 16. Anoint Jehu, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. These are important commands. Verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. What's he talking about here? He's talking about judgment on the house of Ahab and Jezebel for the murder of the prophets. And then he says this, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. In other words, no, you're not the only one left who loves me. And yes, I am in control. Elijah was feeling bad because he had some false information. I'm the only one left. No, you're not the only one left. There's always something off in our thinking when we have a complaint in our hearts. When we think God has failed us. There's something off in our thinking. No matter what our feelings are shouting at us. It's not the circumstances. It's our interpretation and understanding of the circumstances. That is the true problem. No, Elijah, you're not the only one. I have reserved 7,000 to myself who have not and will not bow to Baal. And yes, I have a plan to deal with Jezebel and Ahab. Everything is not terrible. Quick story. On the last day of my 20s, I drove down to Redding, California to visit. Uh, my older sister and her husband, Richard, were living there. And I had a little complaint in my heart about how some things had gone in my 20s. But I was de determined to have a good weekend, a good birthday weekend. So I was all smiles with my family, and we had fun. Richard is fun. He's English, so he's not perfect, but he, he's fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but underneath it all, there's this complaint. And on my birthday, it was a Sunday morning. I was getting ready for church, putting my socks on. And Richard came to me and said, I have a word for you, okay? He said, God has a message for you from today's message. <laughs> so the word was that God has a word for me from someone else. All right, thanks, Richard. I'm putting my socks on, you know, so I, otherwise I would get up and leap for joy. So Bill Johnson, was, Bill Johnson was speaking that day, and I don't remember anything else about the message, but one line was so quick into my heart that I knew, you know what, this is what Richard was, was talking about. This is it. Bill said, your greatest struggle at the end of your life, when you look back and see all that God had did through it and all the good that came from it, will cause you to be full of great joy. Not just, not just the pain drawn out and neutralized, but turned positive, and greatly so. Your greatest struggle, when you look back and see all that God did through it, and all the good that came from it, will cause you to be full of great joy. And I just, uh, I just Googled my birthday, September 26th. 2010, and found the sermon and rewatched it yesterday, and it was just as good the second time through 10 years later as the first time. It's very anointed message. So think about that with your life. The things that you feel like, 
were wasted, uh, were negative, mistakes. You know, God is the God that was so gracious to Elijah that even though he had run 40 days in the wrong direction without a word from the Lord, God revealed his presence to him. And he had this amazing encounter that turned him brave. It turned him bold. The same God who did that will do that for you. What, what things have been in your life that you think that was wasted, that was a mistake, that was just turned to ashes? And with like um, Jason said, he's pulling jewels out of these ashes in your life. Because that's who he is. And that's who he is for you. That's not just who he is for other people. That's who he is for you. Fast forward to Elijah, sitting up on the hilltop, calmly awaiting the king's men to come and arrest him. We see here a man who has learned much since the last time a ruler was trying to kill him. He had learned where God is, not on a particular mountain, not in a storm or fire or an earthquake, but in a still, small voice. He was in the gentlest whisper, and his presence was wherever Elijah was. His presence, you don't need to run somewhere to get into his presence. It's with you. And God had told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Elijah had learned he didn't need to flee to safety to find God because God was with him right there on that hilltop. I love the contrast between the man who ran away in his younger days and the man who purposely made himself as visible as possible on that hilltop. 2 Kings 1.9, the king sends his 50 men to arrest him. Man of God, the king says, come down. Verse 10, Elijah answered the captain, if I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. This is the Old Testament. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. It's a bit horrific. We don't know the whole story, though. God is just. They were working for a wicked king, and they've been sent in the full knowledge of what they were doing to arrest a man of God. Maybe they had helped Jezebel kill the prophets. We don't know what, whether they deserve. It seems like they must have deserved that, or God wouldn't have let it happen. We know in the New Testament, Jesus took the punishment for our sins, and so mercy tends to prevail over judgment. But in the Old Testament, God wanted to make sure we understood how serious sin is. So you see justice very strongly. And they certainly got a fiery dose of justice that day. So what, is, what does the wicked king do? He doesn't care about the 50 men. He sends another 50 men. And the same thing happens. He sends another 50. I can just see the soldiers lining up for that mission. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I should have called in sick today. Please don't pick me. Pick him. I'm too young to fry. I like that. <laughs> this time the captain begs Elijah humbly. Please spare our lives. Just come with us. We're just doing our job. And oh, Elijah goes with him. And I think the original plan was to bully, was to persecute the prophet, maybe to kill him. But these guys aren't going to do that. They're, they're quaking in their boots. So they take him right before the king, and, and Elijah just tells him right to his face, you're going to die. And what happens? He dies. Didn't see that one coming, did you? So what's the point of this story? First off, yes, it would have been nice if Elijah had you know, shown a little mercy not turning those soldiers into burnt marshmallows. You know, when Jesus' disciples suggested the same thing, Jesus rebuked them for even thinking that. But this is the Old Testament, and Elijah didn't have access to Jesus' teachings. Um, and there were actually a couple times in the New Testament where instant justice takes place, but who's counting? So setting aside the ruthless justice he meets out, we see in Elijah amazing personal growth. He went from fleeing so far that he, it took 40 days, 
to just sitting boldly on the hilltop. And he had become brave. He had become courageous. And he had learned to trust God. What allowed that change to take place in the intervening time? What happened in his life that made him transformed into a new person? It was the encounter with the Lord, wasn't it? It was the encounters. It's our encounters with the Lord that transform us into the person we were meant to be. And Elijah had learned that God is in the gentlest whisper. And he had learned that God was with him wherever he went. But more important than these sorts of mental lessons is the simple fact that he had an encounter with God. And these encounters are what leave us changed forever. Can't emphasize that enough. And we see this time and again in scripture where the hero of a particular account starts out weak, scared, unwilling, ashamed, bound in some way. And they encounter the presence of God. And they become transformed into a new creation. They're suddenly a completely different person. How far will you travel to encounter God? Elijah trekked nearly six weeks through wilderness to have an encounter with God because he thought he needed to go to this particular mountain. Paul said, Acts 17, 27, He's not far from any of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. If I hadn't read that and someone asked me, what do you live in and move in and have your being in? I would have said the air, right? I mean, this is what we live in and move in. God is so close, he's closer than the air. Can you imagine that? Just think about that. As you breathe in, that's how close God is to you. We are literally immersed in his presence at all times. But there's a choice we can make to harden our hearts or not, or to draw near to him. Isaiah said, these people's hearts are far from me. And Jesus said, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So there's a, there's a movement in his direction that we can choose to experience that closeness. And that's where the transforming takes place. You've seen the images of people running to meet each other, you know, like friends when they're far away and they run and they hug each other. I think we have one quick little funny one that I found. I added some music, but I guess the PC was muted. It's okay. That was fun. That's a good one. So God is like that with us. Only I, in my interpretation of, of who God is, I think if we just take like half a step, he takes the other 99 and a half. But he is waiting for us to at least kind of move in his direction and not to just be like this. You know, eh, I could care less. Sometimes that's how our hearts are disposed towards him and we don't even, we don't even, are, we're not even aware that that's, what's happened to our hearts because of sin or because of unbelief or because of a complaint. It gets hard. And he wants us to just take a little half step and he'll, he'll run the other 99 and a half. And we have that encounter that changes us. And he says to us, my child, didn't you know I was with you the whole time? Didn't you know God was with you through all that? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're giving us rest. Thank you that as we come to you, you're lifting off our burdens. And I know there's burdens in this room, Jesus. And I know there's hearts that people might not even be aware that they know that they're hardened right now. And so all of us here in this room are asking, draw us to you and let us take that half step towards you. And we know you'll come the other 99 and a half. We want to be transformed. We know that to be transformed is how we change the world around us. We want to be the people that we were made to be. Thank you, Lord.
We're transformed through encounter. And some of the most powerful encounters come in the midst of our trying times. James says, rejoice. Consider it pure joy. Where our tether ends, God's begins. And his tether never ends. Amen? Amen. Pastor Dan. Thank you, David. Let's stand up. Yeah, that's powerful. What a powerful word. There's always something off in our thinking when we have a complaint in our heart. Boy, that's so true. And where God's, where our tether ends, God's tether begins and his tether never ends. That's so encouraging, isn't it? Praise God. Don't forget, friends, that if you'd like a prophetic word to stay after for a bit because Marty's team, led by Victoria, will be ministering prophetically to, um, to those that are able to stay. And um, I want to say, television audience, anyone here, if you're not started your journey with Jesus, don't, don't think of it as something you are doing with your own effort and your own brain and your own work. You need to respond to what God's doing in your heart. The Bible says three different times, whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. Your spirit is dead, and it needs to come alive. You need to have your spirit, God, speak to your spirit and say, let there be light, just like on day one of creation. Let there be light, and that light will come. You'll be born again. There'll be a Lazarus come forth moment in your spirit. Call on Jesus to be saved. Take it by faith, and then tell that Christian friend that's been praying for you because they will help you grow in your relationship with Jesus and disciple you into supernatural joy, supernatural peace that will rock your world the rest of your days and into, into forever in heaven. God bless you at home. God bless us here. We love you. Don't ever forget God loves you. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time.